ever had in, in the U.S. right now. Mm -hmm. And then it goes the other way. It gets very, very warm and it gets very cold. And according to our history, it tells of how the polar shift occurred. And right now, the difference between magnetic north and true north, well, normally didn't vary more than a degree, but it's over 10 degrees different now. So it's it's shifting, and the Earth does wobble. So I don't know. Hmm. You know, to be honest, I don't really think about that, that uh -huh. kind of stuff too much. <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah, well, see, for me, it's it just part of our history, just mm -hmm. our oral history. And I know my old uncle, he had a moon chart. I mean, this was back in the mid to mid-80s. My old uncle, Charlie Mack, he was already up. He was one of our historians. He seen, he was old. He seen a lot. He knew mm -hmm. a lot. And he had a moon chart. Huh. You know, it was really interesting. Yeah. I didn't understand what he... I asked him one time about uh, teaching me the language and uh, whatever, and he said to me, I'm just a storyteller. That's mm -hmm. all I am. But he, he was more than that. Well, maybe you can uh, even use that for song ideas. Yeah. Some of those things and start teaching culture through song ideas. Yeah. Song lines, I guess, is what the, the Aboriginal people refer to them as. Right. Well, we got the new, um, a new uh, CD starting. So Oh, you do, eh? Yeah, but uh, it's a slow process the way. Yeah, it's Indian time. Mm. Indian times... Indian, what do you call it? Indian time times 10. That's what we're on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty slow. Yeah. We're driving our producer uh, nuts with it. So. Why is it so slow for us to reproduce? So, uh, not only that, it's just like to reproduce. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can you take that a lot of ways here. <laughs> <laughs> So go ahead, take it. Hey, um, well, we all, in my group, we all have families. We all have work. They... to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. There's a little shuffling and banging going on because we're just jumping into things. Oh my God, it's a packed house. So many handsome gentlemen. Everyone say hi, handsome. Hey, handsome. <laughs> so today we have, um, we have some reviews of some local push shows and theater UBC shows. We also have David Carr. I spent a few minutes with him earlier today talking about an event on Sunday, also for the Push Festival. And then we had the, have the talented time of Paul Anthony, who we'll be talking to about his fifth anniversary. But coming up first, and by first I mean right now, we have uh, James. Now, James... Hey... You uh, w got to see Encore, uh, which is part of the Push Festival, Ballet BC, mm -hmm. uh, on Friday, and you wrote a 
delightful review. Oh, thank you. Delightful review on <laughs> air. Uh, I mean, <laughs> CITR.ca. Mm. What you what you up to there, Ryan? <laughs> we have fun, you know. We have fun. Um, but uh, I thought you could maybe uh, give us a, a little bit of a, a a voice recap of your um the likes and dislikes that you had of which there were many oh, yeah. and um you know you can feel free to reference your bladder as much as possible that was a, oh. a main character in your review yeah yeah so yeah it was friday night at the ballet um bc ballet was encore it was uh it was a ballet there's three different ballets mixed into one so it was like a couple of shorts but um yeah you have a little you have a couple of bevies on friday night and all of a sudden you sit down and and you have to go pee and <laughs> the the first the first ballet which was a uh, petit oh no sorry the first one was called um herman sherman and it was um choreographed by william forsyth uh i didn't get it the guy my friend i went with didn't get it and the guy i stood out at the urinal afterwards didn't get it <laughs> so um well now emily said that it would be okay if you didn't get it right away have things settled in at all no <laughs> no no they haven't I, I i sat down i wrote that review and then i thought about what i was going to say today and still just no idea but um the music like the, the dancing obviously it's mm -hmm. like crazy high caliber mm -hmm. but um th there just didn't seem to be a dialogue at all mm -hmm. between there was a duet dancers. and a quintet in that one and then there, like there, yeah there wasn't really a dialogue between the dancers or between the dancers and the audience and then there's a duet with a with a, with a with a man and a woman, and then at one point they both came out with um, yellow skirts on, which really didn't help the bladder situation. <laughs> oh my god! But but that was just the first bit. Then there's two other bits. Um, the second one was called First Flash, and we're listening to the music for First Flash right now. Oh yes, oh, and it was named after the lovely gentleman's silver track pants, as you can see. Um, then the third one, oh, that was by Jorma. Jorma Ilo, pardon mm -hmm. me. And then the third one's called Petit Ceremonie, mm -hmm. and that was by a gentleman named Mehdi Walerski. Pardon me if I didn't say that right. But uh, those two completely, completely took me away. Um, yeah, they were, they're really lyrical. There's a, there's a story to tell. Um, and uh, by the third one, I was completely lost. It's, uh, it's, you know, you've seen a good show when you walk out of the theater and you have no idea where you are or where you're going. Now, <laughs> how did it compare to what you kind of know about traditional ballet and kind of the traditional performing, Western performing arts? Like, how did it push those boundaries for you? Um, oh, well, first of all, they used the um, dancers' voices quite a lot. That was uh, mostly in the third one. Actually, just in the third one, pardon mm -hmm. me. That, that was in uh, Petite, uh, Petite Ceremony. Ceremony. Yeah. They, um, yeah, they were used as as part of the music at some at some parts. Other parts, the music stopped, and the dancers would count out loud to keep time, and um, they'd be snapping and slapping. And at one point, one of the dancers came out with a microphone, held it up to another one. He pulled out three balls, started juggling, and told a monologue about how men have the distinctive characteristic of being able to think about nothing. And that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in a room full of men, don't, don't. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but. Yeah, so it, while holding balls. 
Yeah, while the rebound. I feel like that's actually a pretty defining characteristic of men. So, so their next um, event is Swan Lake, um, which is uh, presented by Ballet BC and performed by the National Ballet of China, and uh, with Natalia Makarova. And it, now, looking at the the scenes online i'm not sure if that is a female or a male but i like the idea of, of a gender discrepancy um february 27th to 28th and march 1st to 2nd 2013 anything else you'd like to add james um about the performance and about ballet bc the bathrooms at the queen elizabeth theater are lovely they really it, it really is um like peeing at a palace isn't it it is okay well that is uh we still have uh, a lot of potty humor coming up in the rest <laughs> of the show um so we're just going to take a quick break break uh, arts report citr 101.9 and next up we are going to have two reviews one of uh, a couple of push shows ride the cyclone and the human library and uh just before that, we are going to have a review uh, by Chris, who is a gr- journalism student, a grad journalism student at UBC, and he is going to review UBC Theatre's Rhinoceros. So please stay tuned. Saturday, February 9th, CITR presents the 26th annual Bob Marley Bash, featuring Steel, Natural Flavors, and Raz Nikilesh. Hosted by George Barrett and Louis Sutherland. Tickets available at High Life Records, Zulu Records, Salon Supreme Rhythm, and Spice. Doors at 8 p.m. Listen, if they're so hot, how come they're not tearing up the charts, babe? Because you never play them, babe. At CITR, our hosts choose the music they play. That means our charts actually reflect the tastes of music lovers, as opposed to focus groups. So if you want to know what's really tearing up the charts, get your hands on a copy of Beatroot or Discorder magazine, or go online to CITR.ca. CITR's charts are based on actual spins motivated by actual preference. No payola, no marketing, just good tunes. Refreshing, no? do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. And we are back on the Arts Report, and uh, we are going to do a couple more reviews from arts reporters now chris lane is not actually an arts reporter technically but he is gonna be a damn fine reporter and uh he writes uh for the and by arts reporter i mean the official citr arts report but he is an arts reporter for uh the 
sharpocanada.com. He is, this is the uh, Charlebois Post Canada. Uh, we are Canadian Theatre, which is at sharpocanada.com, and he is also a student at the uh, UBC, uh, UBC Grad School of Journalism, and he is the BC editor. Very fancy. <laughs> if you say so. I do, and it's my show, so what I say goes. Um, so you recently um, reviewed and saw Rhinoceros by UBC Theater, and I was wondering if you could set up this uh, show for us a little bit, because uh, I, I posted a picture of it online on CITR.ca for our preview, and if anyone's checked that out as well, you should. Um, it is uh, the everyone in suits and rhinoceros heads. What's, what's going on with that? Why are there so many rhinoceroses? So the play is called Rhinoceros by Eugène Ionesco, and it's an absurdist play, um, which is why it has a very far-fetched plot. Um, it's set in a French village where, one by one, the townsfolk are turning into rhinoceroses. So absurdist, for sure. And it's quite an immersive play, because as each cast member becomes a rhinoceros, um, they gradually start to roam through the audience, so, everyone around, so you have these rhinoceroses around you. And it's quite powerful as they... They're all marching as one cohesive unit, and they all stomp at the same time. And it's set up to convey the conformity of totalitarian societies. As the playwright, he lived through the rise of Nazism in Europe. So it is quite intellectual, but it is easy to understand, and it's definitely funny as well. Now, um, I asked you earlier about, and you call it an absurdist play, and, and when I had originally given away some tickets, I had announced that it was a little bit like a, maybe you could compare it to, say, an animal farm or a big brother or, you know, kind of Orwellian. Is, is that, is, was I accurate? How does, how does it compare to something that people might be familiar with in that way? Well, it is supposed to, to, con- to get at the, the mindset of people in societies like that, mm-hmm. um, you wonder how on earth can people um, start to believe these things as you know an entire society just goes along with you know something like Big Brother, and so it gets at how gradually um, it's it becomes normal just to become a rhinoceros, just the way that it becomes normal um, in an Orwe- Orwellian book to go along with. The pigs. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Big yeah, exactly. It, yeah, and I guess the idea being, like, as as more and more people succumb, you become the odd one out and the pressure increases exactly. to become like yep. them. Now, I'm, I'm just looking at your review, and um, you were just saying that there... Uh, it, it is experimental in some of the movement, and this is something that that most everyone did well, but it, it was a little bit distracting at times. Is that the execution, or do you think that's just part of the kind of um, maybe a bit of a quirk of the actual play itself? Um, it's more in the in the production of it, but that's it's re- it's, it's relatively minor. As, as yeah, the the leads were. Um, were all really very much on the mark, and they were all really strong. And that's the exciting thing about student productions is that you get to kind of experiment, and and n- the polish may be lacking once in a while, but you still have that kind of enthusiasm. Yeah, and it makes it, it makes it something different. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe some people would disagree with me and think that that's really good what they added to it. Yeah, well, I mean, reviews are pretty objective, I think, sure. so, in general. So mm-hmm. I don't think we have to worry about anyone ever disagreeing with an arts review, right? That doesn't. No, we're good. <laughs> Um, well, Chris, uh, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add about Rhinoceros? It is running um, until the 9th. 
at the Chan Center for the Performing Arts. Oh, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you. At the Tele Studio Theater in the Chan Center. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you is I saw um, something about it. It is one of the first times that the, the full round has been used in that theater. How was it watching in the round? If you're not familiar with that term, it just means that this that the seats go all the way around, uh, much like in a Shakespearean kind of theater. Did that change the experience for you? Was that exciting? Um, or it, it's, it's cool having it like that. Um, More there's deeper. a lot going on in it, mm -hmm. and you can really watch of whatever you feel like watching. Um, and it means you become more a part of the action there. Um, and it does mean you might want to choose your seat carefully because mm -hmm. some are better than others in terms of how well you can see things. Okay, good to know. So uh, keep uh, in mind, start, think, start planning now for where you're going to sit. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to check off, check out Rhinoceros uh, by Ionesco, uh, translated by Martin Krim uh, and directed by Chelsea Haberlin, all theater UBC peeps. It's at Telus Studio Theater uh, at Chance Center for the Performing Arts, January 24th to Feb 9th. And if you want more info, just check out theater.ubc.ca. And of course, remember to check out uh, Chris Lane's reviews on sharpocanada.com. Thanks, Chris. Great. Thank you. But wait, there's more. There's more reviews of local shows. There is more. Oh, I'm so excited. So, um, Ryan. Megan. Bro. Bip. Ryan is the host of Butter on the Bread on Wednesdays. Wednesdays. It was earlier today. today. Yes. And uh, he is also on our student executive, and he also uh, it does our production for a lot of the PSAs that you hear that we play. I live so. and breathe CITR. As we all I, do. I sleep here. Yeah, you should stop doing that. Okay, fair. It's <laughs> fair. <laughs> we, don't, um, we need a shower, actually. <laughs> so I just wanted to check in. Now, you, you've seen a couple of shows lately. You uh, First off, you went to Ride the Cyclone. I did. A week or so ago, uh, the opening. And uh, you very much enjoyed it, you told me. Tell me a little bit about Ride the Cyclone. It's uh, like a modern musical, correct? Yeah, <clears throat> and then definitely uh, I was a bit skeptical going in with the, the title musical, you know. It just has such a negative connotation as to, to be kind of cutesy and... Um, and it was far from it, you know, it was very, a very racy play, uh, definitely just covering everything from, you know, teenage, small town angst to, uh, weird, futuristic cats, people, sex in outer space, um, Fair enough. and, Fair and enough. all sorts of genres as well. So they were covering, um, there was a rap performance. Uh, the cat one was like a techno sort of, uh, David Bowie, like weird androgynous space outfit performance. There was um, a pretty standard, you know, musical acapella group uh, thing, and it was all backed by uh, it. So it, was, it took place in this uh, carnival sort of purgatory. It's about these six teenagers who died in a uh, roller coaster accident, and so uh, it's narrated by the sort of machine fortune teller, sort of like what was the Tom Cruise big? movie? Big. Tom Hanks. It was Tom Hanks, wasn't it? Oh, my God. It but was, imagine if it was Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise in that movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would have been a, a different tale. Uh, but so sort a very similar sort of like weird, for, creepy fortune teller who sort of narrates the program. And he can also predict his own death, which uh, is going to be a rat that chews through his cord at the end of the play. And so because death is the base of life. That rat plays the bass, and he's accompanied by his soon-to-be orphaned rat children. And so the entire band backing the show is these rats, and they play cello. And for the rap song, you know, they had some really interesting electronic percussion. Uh, 
it was phenomenal. The use of uh, multimedia in it, they had some really interesting uh, projectioning going on where, you know, there'd be a film projecting the background and a character would walk back on screen, time to the point so that he would become, he would enter the film, you know, and enter a sort of a dreamlike fantasy and... uh, yeah, I know you told me to try to think of something I didn't like about the play. Well, I, but... I, I said that like there there are amazing reviews yeah. online. So if there was anything, but I'm always I'm always encouraging my reporters to be critical, but not necessarily yeah. critical if they want. You don't make anything up. Uh, yeah, to be me. honest, it was heart pulling and so funny to the point where, uh, yeah, I was you know doubled over in my seat, uh, laughing. I couldn't think of anything I didn't like about it. Excellent. Well, uh, Ride the Cyclone uh, will be, uh, I think it's happening throughout the rest of the Push Festival. Uh, I will update you further. I think it's on the front page. Are we on the front page? Mm. We're not on the front page yet. Um, so you actually uh, went to another Push event. Yeah. Oh, and this is uh, Can I just say one more thing? Of course. Uh, with any event, because it's the same price, I would highly recommend going on opening night because as a student, I can't afford usually to buy cheese, especially nice cheese. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, I had a second dinner. There well, was so much good. I was having good and brie and some chevre up in here. Here's the thing. When you contribute to the arts report, yeah. I love sending people to the openings. Because not, you're not yeah. just getting to see a show. You're getting to eat some snacks. Yeah. And I told you to get a picture with the snacks. But I, you yeah, did not get a but I turned my phone off to be courteous to the, As well, the theater yeah absolutely. so for students to eat and also i just uh, i forgot to mention but we are doing student price pricing to, for the show tonight for rhinoceros um so check that out because if you are a student and you're listening actually in the background we got something from ride the cyclone jane doe so yeah this this character is sort of this uh, uh anonymous beheaded teenager who no one knows who she is and she's just this phenomenal opera singer uh in like actually in the play um and uh definitely plays this sort of creepy um sort of anti-hero throughout nice. the throughout the play so yeah. ride the cyclone is uh by atomic vaudeville from victoria and it is at the arts club theater company uh the granville island stage until the 16th uh monday and tuesday wednesday to saturday and there are matinees so those are you know, um, those tend to be easier to get to. They tend to be more old people at matinees, mm-hmm. which is, that's your bag. Do it. Um, so uh, I don't know why, but arts, it's an arts club thing. But um, I don't know. Uh, this this looks like a great production. It's gotten rave reviews, and it's Ryan approved. Ryan approved. Two thumbs pointed upwards <laughs> straight, not even, like, bent back. I, like, make an effort. It's, have my thumbs be completely vertical it's good that is some good radio yeah. right there so you know, there's a second that was the second show that you were checking out which is actually free the human library yes. tell us about that uh also uh definitely a more interactive experience but the human library uh is actually at the central library downtown uh it's going on this weekend as well friday saturday sunday from noon to four uh, but you should show up early because it is a free event. Yeah, we and had uh, the curator on a couple weeks ago. Oh, David. David, yes. I and uh, and so we, uh, if you want a little more history on the Human Library, uh, and it's uh, f- coming over from and around the world from uh, Copenhagen and the Stop the Violence, uh, it's all about prejudice and opening yeah. ourselves up and all that good stuff. But you can check out, uh, two weeks ago, you can check out that podcast. What I want is what books did you take out? And by books, I mean humans. Yes. So so that's it. So, yeah, most people here are aware you check out a, a human book, quote unquote, and they, they really emphasize, they like push that theme. They'd be like, your book is at three o'clock. Uh, his name's David, you know, or whatever. Uh, 
So uh, you you pick, you go up to the librarian who's set up at a special push desk, and you check out a book. And there are a number of titles. Uh, Queer Islamophobe was one. Uh, Cultural Pirate was the one I uh, read, and I'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a moment. Um, I Abducted Her was the title of one. Female uh, Heavy Machinery Engineer uh, Coming Out Today. Uh, male to female transsexual, just a real a butterfly boy, which was this uh, man who had this skin disease where his the tissue of his skin was actually like about as fragile as a butterfly's wing, and he had to like live in seclusion for two years, and uh, oh. just like a really interesting wide array of people. And um, I, I went with one other person, so I have two two books which I got to experience. Um, un- unfortunately, mine. Uh, was no. I, it was in, it was enjoyable, yeah. but uh, but the guy cultural pirate basically he was a, a man who was an advocate for uh, all culture to be piratable online, and which which I you know to a certain extent agree with the larger points of his philosophy, but the man was just kind of a a wanker for lack of a better term, <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, and like, like for instance, I just asked him, you know, why, if you think that it, you wouldn't really be pirating if that's what you think. So why would you use the term cultural pirate? pirate? And he's just like, well, I just like to be controversial. And I was like, hmm, well, I don't like you very much as a person. <laughs> but, but, but interesting you got to know conversation. Him first before you judged him. Absolutely, you didn't I judge had, him by I, his cover. You I judged ha- him by exactly. the content of his and character. And that's another. I think that's the whole I book that's idea. That's what Martin Luther King would have Don't judge a book by its cover. It's it's okay to dislike someone as long as you get to know them, and it's just not because of his smug, smug goatee. No one in here has a goatee. <laughs> not, like, I'm not, I'm not anti goatee. I'm it. not anti goatee. It's that just that uh, like uh, I didn't judge him by his goatee. It's just like after a while, I was like, your goatee compliments your douchebaggery quite nicely sir <laughs> my father has a goatee i'm not anti-goatee but in any means uh are you anti-goche i don't know that is <laughs> never mind is that the spread it's the no it's oh. that singer that had that song and uh, okay. it was all like it's not a good song continue there's a question yeah over here no no oh. Oh, okay. Okay, so tell me, tell hand. me about the second book, and I'll pull up right. that song. Uh, um, yes. So I went uh, with a lovely lady by the name of Hannah, and she uh, got the book titled. Basically, uh, she was running late, and I just picked two titles at random for us to read, and she got one titled "I Abducted Her." And uh, what it had to do with was uh, oh, there was a Canadian woman who had lived in Hawaii. And she claims that uh, she had a child with a American man there, and because he was American and she was Canadian, uh, they cu- they had a sort of custody battle, and he was just sort of had the rights to uh, per- parentship uh, because he the child was an American citizen, uh, and he became quite abusive, and so she. Uh, legally i guess abducted this child and they had to change their name and they lived basically in hiding for about eight years until she was caught by the police and the her daughter was returned uh for the last for eight years of her life to live with the father until she was 18 and able to make those sort of decisions the mom didn't see her for those eight years and she also went to jail for a little bit of time so uh she was sort of hannah just got to talk to her um just again from her perspective you know how there are definitely these sort of laws uh which should be 
examined, you know, over custody battles. And I mean, again, it's interesting to get these sort of perspectives. You can see where the person's coming from. Uh, I mean, Hannah had a disagreement with the woman, actually, because the woman said, you know, that's why mothers should always get custody of their children, which, you know, uh, isn't necessarily true. It's a you controversial know. Exactly. But, but at the same time, you know, the next time you hear someone say something like that, you might stop and think, you know, what, what has happened in their past that has led them to believe you wouldn't just like disagree with them or call them stupid or something like that. So I think it's just a pretty interesting way to to get a just more well-rounded perspective of where different sorts of people are coming from. And also just a nice way, you know, there's just not very much, you might know people who are, you know, transsexual or were convicted of abducting someone or something like that. You might have those people in your life, but you wouldn't really get the the sort of formal opportunity to talk with them and get their perspective because you might sort of feel like it would be rude to ask them, you know, like, when did you realize you were this or, you know, how long were you in prison for or something like that? You know, those, those sensitive questions are sort of already, it's already laid out on the table that it's acceptable to ask them. And so it becomes a really rich learning environment. The arts can be learning as well. They can be absolutely. Both, they can they can be both <laughs> expressive and they can be uh, introspective. Um, thank you so much, Ryan, for thank you. your uh, experience. Thank you, Megan. So, I hope to do some more f- free push things for you in the future. <laughs> anytime, <laughs> anytime. And uh, we are actually going to hear from one more uh, push event, uh, David Carr, Truth and Lies in Life and Art. Uh, And what we're going to talk about is Truth and Lies in Life and Art. I spoke to David earlier today. He is a media and culture writer for a uh, columnist for the new york times i don't know if you guys have heard of it Ooh. i know he also wrote a book called the night of the gun which is a account uh of him searching for the memories of the time that he was addicted to such things such as alcohol and crack cocaine uh, and the night of the gun refers to a incident wherein he reported that he was confronted with a gun when one of his, by one of his friends and then finds out later he was the one with the gun. David Carr did not remember this. And mm. he questions, what are all the other things I don't remember mm. in my life? And so he wrote this book and uh, it was released in 2008 and he is also the subject of page one, in one of the subjects of page one inside the New York Times. So he will be uh, in on February 3rd. He's arriving this weekend. He's very excited. He's never visited Vancouver before so um, he will be at the North Shore Credit Union Center for the Performing Arts at Capilano University in North Vancouver and 7.30 p.m. and he will be speaking with David Beers founding editor of the New York not the New York Times uh, David Beers founding editor of the TIE and they will be talking about his book as well as uh, truth and lies in journalism so I wanted to speak to him about some of these subjects, and we spoke earlier today. And uh, thank you to David for speaking with us, and thank you for, to Chris, Ryan, and James for your reviews. Absolutely, Megan. You've been asked to speak at the Push Festival, which focuses on boundary-pushing art because of your experience as a culture and media writer for the New York Times as well as your autobiography The Night of the Gun where you focus on 
a time in your life that might be described as reckless at best. That seems fair. <laughs> Being a journalist writing about media and culture, is there an ongoing battle with memory and the truth? Um, is this something that is part of being a journalist, or is this something that you think is specific to your experience? No, I think it's very much a part of journalism and human commerce, and everybody is always fronting in some way. Uh, let's take this interview, for instance. I would like to sound more erudite and witty than I actually am. I would like to get through it without saying anything stupid. So are you really are you talking with me or a burst to me that ends up on the radio? We, we live in an age, especially given the sort of tools of social media, where people do a, quite a bit of self-fashioning. What you choose in terms of who your avatar is, what your presence is like on Twitter, um, is all an effort to sort of shape uh, uh, others' perception of you. The idea of journalism about media in a time when there's an expansion of how we interact with each other, but have you seen a change in, in the idea of truth as affected by these new types of media, communication media? I was just talking to the head of a television studio in Los Angeles, which is not always the world headquarters of truth. Uh, <laughs> And while he was talking, I was able to fact-check what he was saying and check it against the historical record. And, you know, I had all known thought one click away while I was talking to him. And I would say when I got into the business, you know, I guess more than 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. Uh, I, I might be able to figure out what the truth is once I hung up the phone, but there's, there's sort of a real-time ability to check what's being said against what's what actually has happened in the past. That's one level. Another level is I can write and assert certain things. In the Monday column, I asserted that that the people from South Park kill Kenny in every episode, and it wasn't a matter of seconds after that story that went up where people said, no, they, they quit killing that guy after season six. And you could say, well, there's always been corrections, but then... The correction was written in a fairly ornate way and a hilarious, unintended, hilarious way. And that ended up probably being bigger than the story on Twitter because the correction was so hilarious. Uh, um, I mean, the Internet is a great manufacturer of myth and probably a fair amount of lies, but it's also a place where it can be used to create efficacy and accountability and information as well. Well, you talked a little bit about fact-checking and the idea of fact-checking being a as much a kind of its own spectator sport and its own its own participatory part of say the election process or someone reading your column or anyone's column there's a an instantness and a participatoriness that can be both democratic and also annoying sometimes at the same time but that uh, I could not agree more with <laughs> what you just said <laughs> sometimes you... I feel like people are sitting just like crows on a wire mm -hmm. waiting for uh, some piece I've done to get run over so they can descend on it like roadkill and pick it apart. 
Do you find that this um, enhances uh, debate and journalism, or do you, do you think that uh, it is a negative or perhaps just a change that we have to deal with? I think it's a change that we have to deal with, and I think in the main we're going to end up looking back and thinking that the journalism we're doing now is a lot richer and deeper than it was. You, you notice that I did uh, a one-minute video with uh, Matt Stone on the street, and was shot in kind of crappy lights, and I did it with my iPhone, but I made sure the sound was okay. And I think it's kind of cool they have one more tool in the tool belt where that guy's just talking into a camera. I put up a minute of it. People, I don't have to stand between him and the audience. He can say what he thinks. And I don't know, something about that makes me feel more powerful as a journalist and a communicator that I can... You know, sometimes uh, ask people on Facebook or ask people on Twitter what they think about X or Y, and then I can sometimes, when I'm going after sources, I can surround them more, so much more effectively. It used to be I could only call them at work. Now I can find just about any phone number that they have. I can pop up on their Facebook or their LinkedIn, or I can tweet at them. Um, it's also, it, it's like we've turned into... Uh, the guy in the monster movie, it's like popping up everywhere they look. They can't avoid us as well as they used to. It seems like art, uh, or when you are maybe producing something that's kind of on that line, such as a memoir or an autobiography, do you find that the art can sometimes speak more to truth because it doesn't have to hide behind that almost a facade of truth? Part of the correction I picked up by um, for uh, South Park was it corrected the fact that I said Kenny, the little guy in the orange parker, was ritually sacrificed in every episode. And the copy desk will said, no, that's not a ritual sacrifice. And I said, well, he gets killed in every episode, right? So that's a ritual. And no, the literalist didn't, didn't take to that. In the same way in my book, the parts of the book that are probably most true in spite of the fact that it's based on 60 interviews I did on videotape and 2,000 court medical documents I dug up and a lot of uh, a lot of other things I looked in are probably the most art-driven parts of the book. Favorite parts of the book for me are kind of weird and mystical and I don't even know where they came from or whatever. And that was the muse talking as opposed to me. And I think sometimes the muse is more truthful than the natural human. The expectations for an autobiography. I did see some reviews um, that, that, you know, were praising the writing, but wanted more in terms of uh, a direct address of, of certain, you know, root causes of this addiction that you had. And, but at the same time, you know, you're writing about yourself. Uh, it seems like there is almost maybe a limit to how much truth one can tell about oneself. Yeah, the the weird thing about touring the book, I, I toured quite a bit behind it, and it was in the New York Times Magazine, and it was on the uh, on 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 the bestseller list for a while. So the book got around a little bit, and what people would always want to know when they came up afterwards is what I left out. And I just said to him, you know, I'm in this book as somebody who sold narcotics, somebody who was addicted to crack cocaine, was an alcoholic, was violent against a lot of people, including women. Uh, uh, 
what else do you think there might be? That, that you, you cannot satisfy the cultural appetite for periods, and they always want what, what is not known. And, and I just, I, I found it sort of freaky. You know, journalism has this idea that you're uncovering some sort of objective truth and that bias gets in the way of that. But if bias, like, it seems that bias is inevitable in, in humans. I don't think uh, truth is the hole in the middle of the donut. It's on the donut somewhere. I don't like to speak in terms of bias. I like to speak in terms of fairness. And you're being square with the people that you're dealing with. Are you honest with them when you call about what you're calling about? If it's going to be a difficult story for them, do you make sure that they know that? Congruence, that kind of stuff, I think is really, really important. Well, David, when we first started this conversation, you used a term I found interesting, human commerce. Um, what is human commerce? What does that describe? I think the equities that you have are like your integrity, your reputation, your decency, your kindness. and. Um, I noticed a debate on Twitter today. Um, a guy saying Twitter has turned dark and mean and ugly, but you know, Twitter is self-selecting over and over again, and you only follow that which attracts you. And for me, Twitter is still a very positive, sunny place. And if somebody is putting out the bummer, I I just I block them. I don't follow them. I don't. I think part of the success of Twitter is it's it's, it's not like the acid bath that is the rest of, of the Internet where people shout at people and they think they're talking to no one. And I get emails all the time when I write about anything vaguely political. And the rhetoric is incredibly savage, and it can be from the right or the left. And as soon as I email them back, they calm right down, and they're so much nicer. You know, I email them back, and I say, I, I'm sorry you think I'm a complete moron. I missed the point. I do appreciate you taking the time to read and, uh, and, and feedback to me, albeit in a very bracing way. After I send that, then they immediately, I'll, you know what, I was really having a bad day, and I probably overspoke. And I think a lot of times people are yelling in ways that, that they do because they don't think anybody hears them. Thank you so much for your time today, David, and uh, I look forward to meeting you in person on Sunday. It's an absolute pleasure. See you later. Bye-bye. And thank you very much to David Carr. I thought that was uh, quite the... Quite the comment on internet culture. You know, people say what they say because they don't think anyone's listening. Um, we are now listening to Anne with an E, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart Belong, which is out right now. And uh, the reason we're listening to this is that not heard in the interview, I asked David, uh, what are some of the pieces of culture right now that you think are telling the truth? And he mentioned the pains of being pure at heart. He said that while they are doing the kind of girl-boy stuff of pop music, I think what he said was, you don't love me enough, or you love me too much, or you don't love me back the way that I love you, in the exact specific way, but that something about the way they expressed it was truthful to him. He also mentioned uh, Tree of Smoke, which is a 2007 novel by Dennis Johnson that won the National Book Award for Fiction. And he said that uh, while he's not familiar with the, the subject matter, that, that the expression 
of those ideas about working in Vietnam and American involvement were very uh, poignant and truthful for him. And finally, he really likes the show Girls. He said that uh, said that Lena. He told Lena Dunham some things about how she was going to get torn apart if she didn't do Brooklyn just right. And I think that has definitely happened. Now, we're going to take another quick break, and when we return, we will uh, have finally. I'm so excited, Paul Anthony. Yay! Who has just taken off layers of clothing. So we'll see if he still has uh, this first layer still on when we return. Right here on News 101. What motivated you to become a candidate in the provincial election? The media portrayal of last week's protest that resulted in polarizing images of black-clad activists taking to the streets. He was just explaining to us the reason why they wanted to show this film on campus. The official stance is that we are for the Olympics. News 101 reporter Brad Pepping was there. By discriminating against homeless people in Vancouver, there's a disproportionate impact on Aboriginal people as well as people with disabilities. I was pretty outraged. I mean, it it is outrageous. In-depth coverage from an alternative perspective. News 101 is Vancouver's only live, volunteer-produced student and community newscast, bringing you local, national, and international news from an alternative perspective. Tune in Mondays and Fridays at 5 p.m. right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Live streaming and podcasts are available online at citr.ca. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Commercial Drive area at Audio Pile, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, and the People's Co-op Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Hi, I'm Dave Foley, and you're watching Paul Anthony's Talent Time. Hey, it's Iggy Pop, and you're watching Paul Anthony's Talent Time. What time is it, everybody? It's Talent Time! This song is LSD, 
right? It's about LSD, right? No, no, it's not about that at all, really. <laughs> my son drew a picture. My son drew a picture, Julian. He said, look, Daddy, it's Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Oh, your son was on acid. Yes, he was. Please welcome British Columbia's number one seniors entertainment troupe, The Vaudevillians. I wanted to date a girl so gothic she shit bats. That was a lot of candy. I think I'm diabetic now. <laughs> you girls like funny guys? How sweet it is to be loved by you. And we are back, and that was that was the trailer for Paul Anthony's Tyler. Time. It looked so good. <laughs> a lot of explosions. You should have seen it. Um, it makes good video, makes good radio. Is my <laughs> my understanding. Now, uh, Paul Anthony's Talent Time, uh, which you can see the first Wednesday of every month at the Biltmore, and we're going to be doing a CITR run on that sh- uh, next week, February sixth, and then you can stick around for. TLC, which is yeah. CITR sponsored. Oh, so, nice. Paul Anthony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who am I speaking to right now? Wait, that's a different <laughs> show. Um, James Lipton. That's my James Lipton impression. Uh, so we're gonna, we're coming up on five years. Uh-huh. It'll be five years next week. That mm-hmm. is the big event that's happening. Mm. Let's take it back to the beginning. Okay. okay. So you're Paul Anthony. <laughs> yes, I feel like this is therapy already. <laughs> you're 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 in you're, you enjoyed theater and participated in theater and comedy. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the performing arts. Ooh, performing arts! I actually started as a school skipping technique. Excellent! I love those. I um, you know, I didn't want to go to school. This is junior high, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I'd, I'd pretend to be sick, and then my parents would leave, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to be at home. I want to be outside, so I'll dress up in my dad's clothes. But I saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. And so I decided, well, I can dress up in these clothes, but I'll have to uh, put on a funny limp or, you know, and talk funny. And, you know, the thing that gives you away is how you carry your body. So I started just, like, experiment. I guess around 10. I started doing that, like going out in public as like a homeless person, like when I was ten. I just ride the bus. Did you get any change or like any help out from people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, f- I still feel really bad about this <laughs> one time because this woman gave me her like rabbit skin gloves. They looked expensive because I was like going through a garbage can, and I was just like young, you know, and I had this ratty wig. And, so I you, felt really bad about that one. You can't sit still in school, so you're like, okay, I don't want to be there. But yeah. you're you're not a lazy man. You're no. a creative young lad. Yeah, I wanted to be. Uh, wanted and, to be creative. And it was was it during that time too that you started doing these variety shows? As long as I can remember, I was doing a variety show. So I don't really have any memory before I guess around nine or ten, 
Not that I had a really bad not childhood. Like da- I just not don't like know. the David Carr thing, though. No, I okay. don't think I was doing crack at 10. I waited. That would have been a good radio story, I waited until last year. Um, uh, so what were we talking about? We're talking about how... So we're trying to trace the evolution of talent time to its current right. form. So we have childhood. You're, you're a homeless child. <laughs> with a just limp, in my mind. And uh, you're doing these variety acts. And were they well-received? By my grandma, yeah. And my Grandmas are the best. Aunt and uncles, mm-hmm. parents had liked it. Yeah, it was a it was an audience of maybe ten at most, but most of them were in the show. Uh-huh. We just you know <laughs> you get together for family occasions, Easter or someone's birthday. I take the kids down into the the basement, <laughs> and uh, I'd be like, okay, you're in the house band. You're you know you're a guest. You're gonna play this person. Sometimes it would be famous people. They'd be impersonating. Sometimes it you know be whatever you're gonna be a guy who builds lego or whatever <laughs> and i do like these talk shows that were like variety shows when did it start like coming out of the house coming out of the family well i you know it died off somewhere in my teens like when i started well, being it's not too cool, cool. To, like yeah it's not cool to like be creative with your family but you did yeah. you continue on in like the performing yeah. comedy and yeah the i theater? took it i took it out of the basement nice off the the stairs. The stairs was the se- the seating area, mm-hmm. and the family room was like the stage. I uh, took it, yeah, and then as a teen, yeah, I got into theater, and then I got into uh, some film stuff, and then um, and then I got interested. I was always really interested in comedy. Like I used to listen to comedy uh, shows on my Ghetto Blaster as a kid. Like just Sundays was the day, and I just curl up with my Ghetto Blaster, and I remember not even like knowing if I. I liked it. Like, I wasn't laughing. I just loved the idea of humor. Like, the idea of humor has always really been interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So when I started doing comedy, it was in character, and it was, it was, you know, uh, pay, uh, kind of, I wanted to destroy comedy cliches, or I wanted to examine this part about comedy. So it was all really conceptual and not, some of it's funny and some of it wasn't, and uh, most of it wasn't, I guess. <laughs> I think that's all but, comedians when they start out, no matter what type of uh, conception well, they're going for. I do. It, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> when did so tell me? So uh, we have uh, Talent Times Wednesdays every first Wednesday at the Biltmore. When, what was that first show like? How did that come about? Um, well, I in two thousand seven, uh, Aubrey Tennant, uh, comedian in town ex-comedian now he makes video games now Mm -hmm. but uh he wanted to do a show at the cobalt and uh he asked me to do it with him it was kind of a comedy show but he wanted me to bring more of a variety element because that's what i was kind of into and i reluctantly started that with him i I just said well i'll come sometimes but it was fun we did that for a little bit and then he moved out of town and i i went out of town for a while and what happened was uh uh, the Biltmore was starting up, and the guy uh, Michael Venus was booking for them at the time, and he wanted to. He liked the Cobalt show and wanted you know me to bring something there. So that's he's and I just I was pretty hesitant. I didn't want to start a new show. It's a lot of work, and mm-hmm. but they offered a guarantee. They were just starting the club, so they really wanted things there, and and. Uh, so tell us what does what is like your kind of your average show like and like what I mean nothing average I'm sure for sure but uh, tell tell us a little bit about like what craziness uh, and unexpected things people can expect like what's changed over what's the, changed? the years um, I don't I don't think much has changed except for the audience mm-hmm. the, just m- more people come and more people like it I think. Uh, 
and I, I'm a little bit better at it. Like, I think there's... <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but w- w- I guess what you can expect is, like, a true variety. So there's, you know, we've had kids as young as... We had a kid who was just their, their fourth birthday. They were on the show, and they did uh, the weirdest rendition of that song, MacArthur Park. Do you know? Oh, yeah. Someone left the cake out in the way. <laughs> a really weird song for a four-year-old. It, it was on her birthday, too, which made it even weirder. Um, but we, I mean weird as in, uh, you know, it just makes you smile inside of your heart. That's like, that kid, <laughs> that kid gets irony. Like, that kid yeah. inherently. Well, I did an interview with her afterwards, and it was like, what? You know, why the cake? And, you know, was there cake? And, and who saved the recipe? Because that's the whole thing. <laughs> well, uh, the song, Someone Left the Cake Out in the Rain. It's like uh, a, it's and like I'll a disco late summer. Like, oh, was there no. cake for the girl on her birthday? She had a cupcake, show. yes. Okay. I'm glad that's Whew. what you were... Yes, but it was her birthday. Did she get a cupcake? Yeah. It's very That important. is fair. But from that till um, older folks, on uh, the next show we have, uh, on the five-year anniversary, we have uh Is it going to be like a gold. best of, or is it going to be new um, stuff? There's, there's some, there's some new, this. there's some returning. There's some returning in a different form. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. You're not going to see. You're not going to see what you've seen before, but mm-hmm. you might see some of the, some of the same people doing. Like uh, we have Antique Gold, their uh, seniors uh, barbershop quartet. They won Best in the World in 2006. They're fantastic. Champions. You know, they're they're older. I know the oldest person I think we've had was that told me how old they were was like 92. But I think we had we've had older people. My show and you know they're tap dancing and they're doing whatever and and, and if you them. watch the video you have everything from like burlesque to, to mariachi to puppets to comedy to and and the, the other thing that we kind of haven't mentioned so far is that there's a live show but then it's also broadcast mm-hmm. like on tell us a little bit about like the tv show versus the live show um, well, t- some stuff's just too hot for tv oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're on Shaw TV uh, five times a week. Um, and we're on Novus TV twice daily. Wow. Popular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so... I, so, I don't know what that means. So, over the, so, you've been around for five years. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Antique Gold. Who else is coming up next week? Uh, we have FYE Vancouver, For Your Entertainment. They're like uh, the first uh, all-Filipino Canadian uh, variety show on Shaw Multicultural. They have their own oh, okay. show um, on the Multicultural channel. And uh, Five Tykes, they're doing like a Jackson 5 nice. thing. It's great. Uh, uh, they're great. And there's going to be some go-go. and Yeah, go-go. Uh, some, the retro uh, go-go dance from the Hot Pants. They're really, they're really good. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They do it at Guilt, I think. Um, yeah. Guilt and Company. Now, you actually did an interview in the October issue of Discorder. So if you guys want to know a little bit more about Talent Time and about Paul, about Vancouver... And about what quality he most deplores about comedy. Oh, what did I say? Predictability, oh, vanity, God. ignorance, and the fact that it is difficult to be good at. <laughs> I, I, that bugs Very me the clever. most. It's so difficult to be good at, <laughs> I think. Now, um, I just wanted to get a sense of, like, you know, they ask you, they ask you like, what person, living or dead, blah, blah, blah. So we won't go over that. Check that out on discorder.ca. What I want to know is, mm-hmm. who have you been working on getting mm. for a while that, like, you think might happen? And, and who are some of the people right. that, like, you actually succeeded in getting on? Right, because you had a, a great story about Randy Quaid being on. Yeah, uh, who I'm who I'm looking at right now is uh, there's a group called Paws, mm-hmm. and P A W S. They uh, dance with their dogs. 
Ah. Um, and it's yeah. fantastic. They're very hesitant about outsiders coming in and kind of uh, judging people them. make fun of them Wait, or whatever. Exclusive troop. They're very exclusive. It's a whole thing. There's an un- there's a whole underground thing. Uh, they have competitions and and when I mean dance with their dogs, they, uh, they have vote. routines. They have routines that they that they do. The dog does the something. They do the something. It's not just you know. This jumping is this around. is high quality high professional end. stuff. So um, I've been, you know, I've been gentle. The thing about my show is, is people will, will look at it, like if they see the trailer or go to the website, say, uh, like Antique Gold, when they were first on the show, they were hesitant because they were just like, oh, I don't know, this looks like a show for Do kids. Do people or... think that maybe that, that the point is to kind of make fun of the Isaacs? Because it seems like yeah. you could kind of get that idea, but it yeah. also seems like you're really just celebrating talent. Yeah. It's a time for talent. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that... People could think that, and uh, and they and they have definitely. But once they've been on the show, it's like a complete turnaround, and uh, where they're just like, "This is you know, Antique Gold, for instance." They were said, "This is the best show that they've ever done," and that they want to come back as as you know as long as we'll have them and stuff. And it's just the response was was so positive. They had standing ovations after each of their songs, and people were chanting their names, and they were they, just, they loved it. People and are there ready for something different, I guess. They That's are something interesting. And see so here a barbershop quartet. When do you see here a barbershop quartet? Not enough. It's qu- you don't even know what it is, do you? <laughs> do you even know what a barbershop quartet? Know what I, I'm 25. I'm hamburger, like, hamburger, <laughs> hamburger, hamburger, hamburger. Oh That's what I like. Stripes, they're the hats. <laughs> family guy. Yeah, that's right. That's people's you only. Should not, you should stop doing it. Seen that. on the Simpsons or something. Oh my gosh. So I'm planning. Uh, I really. Uh, I've been gentle with these pause folks because I. I love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I. I think it's. I think it's amazing, and um, they've they've asked me recently if I have a dog. So. You have to get one. I have to get a dog. <laughs> get a. Get a spy cam. Infiltrate. Um, you know, and I just have to win their confidence, uh, and not in a, a weird way because I I am genuine. Uh, but I just have to, you know. We have I, I need to get testimonial letters from people that didn't want to be on the show, like the husband and wife uh, uh, accordion duo that I found at a farmer's market. They were very. They almost left before the show started because they were just like they just saw like younger people coming in and they're just like what's going on would you would you describe it as a bit of a, a cult thing i mean we're ruining yeah. it now with the huge mass media uh-huh. and discorder <laughs> but it seems to be like something that is is genuinely loved because it's quirky and because it's not right. it's people are looking to be surprised yeah I, I don't mind that word at all people throw it around and uh i like things that are considered culty i think it's just a way of saying not very